Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for Monday the 8th of July 2019. We've had reports of a few bits of barley being cut, but um, I can't believe they're going to be anything particularly special. Um, we're not expecting to get going for another week uh, I, I don't think we're going to have much intake or any intake before the 15th of July. We shall see. So let's start with barley. We don't know really where the prices are going to be for malting barley yet. I suspect somewhere around about 140. I think there is quite a big crop. We'll see. We we, we always start. We, we can absorb barley for our members and they trust us to price it fairly when it's come in. Um, so taking the first day's prices is not always the most sensible thing to do trying to get that feeling of what the crops actually like is the most important factor so yeah i I think we're going to see a decent quality um, reasonable yield winter barley crop so hopefully no problems with screenings and hopefully no problems with anything it'll be a real treat and certainly the weather forecast for the next two weeks looks very favorable so let's keep our fingers crossed feed barley still 120x for harvest movement that one will come under pressure when the combines get rolling as people say oh but we've been through that a few times before, haven't we? So I won't be too boring on that. Moving on, old crop wheat has died a death. We, were, we weren't expecting it to run out of buyers, but it just seems to keep coming from farm. There seems to be tonnage left, so it really has taken a bit of a knock. If you were selling wheat today for July movement, you'd probably make something like 141 X farm, something like that. It's not particularly special. There's not much trade going on. Will there be life at the end of uh, July, as we've talked before? Don't know. But there seems to be more and more of it coming forward in bits and and pieces from several people. New crop feed wheat. I think there'll be plenty of people battling for new crop feed wheat. There's lots of stores to fill. Um, There's going to be boats traded. They're not necessarily traded yet, but I think the export opportunity comes in August, September, October, because it's before the dreaded Brexit. So there will be plenty of people buying it. And I think as a storekeeper... We're not going to look as aggressive as some of the prices that have been given um, for a short period of time. I think once harvest hits, um, I did a, a crop walk last night on a farm. I've been walking around for the last, well, nearly 40 years. I've been walking around the farm every year in a little competition that we do, the, the Chubbuck Challenge, it's called. And I've got to say, I, I don't think I've seen the wheats look, looking as good as they do this year. It's as good as anything else I've ever seen on that farm. So I'm expecting a big crop. Um, and certainly my yield predictions to end up uh, winning the competition so I don't have to pay for my meal, I hope it is a big crop. So on the back of that, I think we won't have a problem filling our store at some point during the autumn. It's just, will it be at the opening shots of harvest when people are chasing wheat a bit? And I think I think there's a few merchants out there who are a little bit short who are going to be paying up, certainly for the first few days. So... Harvest value at the moment is about 142 delivered for harvest into store. And if you're selling it X Farm for November, it's 143. If you're selling it for 2020, 
November 2020, it would be 143 as well. And if you're selling it the tail end of this 19 harvest year, so May 20 would be 150x. Oilseed rape is as um, as interesting as Webby on a, on a Monday after a wedding he's been to normally. He goes to a wedding every weekend and he, he comes in looking like death warmed up usually. So it hasn't really moved much. We're waiting for harvest to start. I suspect there's plenty of interest out there from the key consumers because there is definitely a smaller crop to be fought over. Looking at the crops last night on my farm walk, one field surprised me with how well it did look, bearing in mind that the, the doom and gloom we'd been listening to about how, how the centre shoots had been eaten by a flea beetle. But the other two fields really weren't very special at all. So I do think yield is definitely suffering with the flea beetle damage. Um, so with that happy thought, we'll know for sure in about um, two weeks, three weeks' time. So uh, let's, let's skip two weeks and get to that, shall we? Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Harvest 2019 is nearly here. Give your grain a better chance of making the grade. Dewing grain for immediate movement and fair treatment. And now it's time for Farm Chat. Today I've got with me Will Sargent. Morning, Will. Hello there. And Webby's with me as well. Following on from last week's conversation about succession in farming, Will, your father, died last November, and um, you've come back to the farm in anticipation of that. So he was diagnosed just over two and a half years ago, I think. And he'd had various problems for a while we didn't really know what was wrong with him he'd had all sorts of tests and then eventually he was diagnosed with motor neurone disease but from a personal point of view it made me think well what's going to happen to the farm dad was running it with my uncle chris but i knew that we had to sort of make decisions about how we went forward and for me even though i was doing something very different at the time working as a journalist in london i decided that this is what i wanted to do come back and help run the farm okay bit of a contrast your career in London, what was that? So I started off by working for the Times as a journalist. I was there for about 18 months. And then after a while, I decided to make my life harder by doing uh, 24-hour news, which was uh, involved very little sleep and was quite exhausting. But it was quite a good move, quite exciting. Um, I even stood outside a hospital uh, when the first royal baby was it Prince George was born when it was about 38 degrees. So a complete contrast, obviously, to... Uh your everyday day say life now yeah a little yeah. bit yeah some yeah. some small changes so you've you've come back and you've 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 now on the farm but you've done quite an interesting piece in the farmers weekly is it will's way yeah i didn't come up with that title <laughs> but i I've, i was a bit of an avid reader i'm gonna say it was really interesting i mean tell us about that when i decided to come back i thought well think of something i could already do which was writing so i thought i'll try and use that as a way of you know, working my way into the industry a little bit and people knowing what I was doing. I thought maybe some people would give me some advice and it would be a good networking tool. And it worked really well and lots of people started to read it, started to talk to me about it. Still people now come up to me and, and talk to me about it, which is nice. Uh, and so people enjoyed it. Yeah, it just sort of took off and I did that for about 18 months. But it was also quite fun because Dad was my sub-editor, so every time I would write an article i'd give it to him to check over check we weren't giving any away and he said were there uh, lots of um trade secrets yeah 
yeah. scribble through yeah, yeah. cutting floor. There wasn't normally many things he would take out, but that was quite a nice process to do that as well. I remember just as you started to come back onto the farm, and we were on a shoot together, and I think you were a week in maybe, we were walking over a field of rapeseed, I think, and someone was gently taking the piss out of you, saying, Will, what's that crop? <laughs> and then we went on to a wheat crop and said, what's this crop, Will? And it was, um, yeah, you took it pretty well, but that it did just highlight quite how, I don't mean this really, how green you really are to farming. Yeah, well, there was certainly a lot to learn, I've had to have a bit of a, an acceleration in my learning process, uh, which at, first of all was quite daunting, but I feel like after, well, just over two and a half years being back, I now know a lot more, thankfully. But I spend a lot of time talking to other people, just trying to get as much advice as possible, working the land myself, learning all of our fields, learning about all of the crops, just generally trying to learn as much as I can, because now I'm in the position where I'm managing and um, you can't do that unless you've actually done the work and understand about what's going on in your farm. Have you have you discovered the difference between good advice and bad advice? Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody's got advice, and it's very helpful when when people, you know, are kind enough to say, "Oh, just give me a call if you need help with this." But because I'm running it alongside my uncle, who obviously has been on the farm for many years. It's not as if I'm completely thrown in at the deep end, so that certainly helps. And he's generally quite patient with me. So, And your, your dad, you know, you had a year with your dad, didn't you? Or a year and a half with your dad, working at, you know, the way he did things. And, and he, I guess, I mean, we, you know, he, he was a, a, a thinker. He, he'd, you know, diversified from just grain production and so on. But his, his trading was always very considered. I remember having conversations with him about, you know, what he wanted to achieve, the the um, forward pricing, budgeting, stuff like that. He was always very, very prudent on that, which a lot of people aren't quite so uh, so structured. And that must have been a good grounding. Yes. I mean, Dad, well, the way he ran the farm with my uncle was that Dad would very much be the man in the office doing the trading and perhaps taking some of the uh, bigger decisions, obviously consulting Chris on the big decisions, but he would be the man in the office doing doing that side of it. And he wanted me to ultimately take over his responsibilities. And by the time he died, when we'd spent almost two years working together, I had taken on all of his responsibilities pretty much. Mm. So that was certainly helpful to have it's the thought process. Warning. It's understanding yeah. the thought process, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Why do you? Why would you budget? Why would you say, look, it costs this much to produce wheat. Let's sell some at this price. It's a profit. When you know, we were talking before the mics were turned on about the people who who held off selling it pre-harvest last year had a bonanza moment in sort of October, September, October time. The people who've held on even longer than that are now selling it for a lot less, by the way. You know, so there's there's a golden bonanza moment for some, but but it's you know budgeting and forward selling is ultimately always going to be the grown up way to do things unless you're a complete gambler. Yeah, Dad was very keen on on that method, and he knew that you could lose or make a lot of money in the office by the decisions you made, and forward selling was a big part of that. So that's certainly something that I look towards as well and and think hard about. So fresh set of eyes coming into agriculture, Morningthorpe, beautiful village where you live. There's an advantage at coming in afresh, having been in the great metropolis, isn't there? Yeah, well, the, the first thing I started to do or in the process of still doing is just making sure the core of the business is functioning as well as it can be. 
getting everything as efficient as possible. Um, we still want to do some diversification in certain areas, but I just want to make sure everything is as tight as it can be before we go into other areas because I think one of the mistakes perhaps some farming businesses do is they think, well, this bit of the business isn't making money, so let's go and do something different. Well, actually, that's not really going to help you with the core of your business. So get that tightened up first, and then you can move into other areas. And we will do, and we have done. It's things like controlling our inputs. So we invested in a Isaria crop sensor, which varies the amount of nitrogen we put onto crops. And the first year uh, we used it properly was this spring. So I'm hoping that's going to make quite a big difference. So it's things like that, just trying to be clever with your inputs, be efficient, and just work to a budget and cost everything. Get multiple quotes. They're all sort of simple things, but they're things that every business has to do. And that's how I'm trying to approach things. We we spoke about it earlier as well, diversification. I mean, your father and your uncle looked at it earlier, and um, you mentioned your relationship with Gressingham Ducks. We've done all sorts of livestock over the years. We've had cows a dairy farm up until the 1960s i think and then we went into sheep we got rid of our sheep about 17 18 years ago and we had turkeys on the farm for a long long time but we decided to get out of that when that business looked like it was starting to fade away a bit and we went into ducks or dad and and chris went into ducks and i think that was a good decision aggressium seemed to be a good company to work for and produce for and um it's a very much more efficient business model than the turkeys because most of the time you've got one man working on it, maximum two. When we muck out and wash out, you have to have more people doing it. And it's much more much more sustainable. And we use all our own straw, which we then recycle as muck. So it's quite a good system generally. So, yeah, obviously a lot of uh, benefits to the land as well on the back of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes you think when you go to some of these field days how desperate some people are for muck. And we obviously have it on the doorstep, which is a big difference for us um, in terms of, you know, soil quality, biomass and uh, pH, etc. All the benefits that you get from putting all the good stuff back into the soil. Obviously heavy land, uh, black grass. Yeah, we've got a lot of variation on our farm. So we've got quite a bit of heavy to medium land. And then we have some light land running through the middle, which we grow rye on. And or miscanthus is another thing we can talk about later. But um, yeah, with one particular area where we've got some very bad black grass. And I'm going to trial something this coming year because it's at the stage now where it's got a wheat on it. And the black grass on one of the fields is really terrible. So I'm going to put a cover crop on there and try growing some canary seed just mm-hmm. on a couple of fields, which is a bit of a risk, but we're going to have to do something a little bit radical to get this basically into a position where we can... It's a war, isn't it? I mean, and, and the chemical choice is reducing, and it's you, you can't just keep growing wheat or cereals in that scenario. You've got to deal with the black grass. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it's to do with rotation, spring cropping. One of the problems with this bit of land is because it's quite heavy, and the risk is that maybe we won't be able to drill it properly in the spring if it's too wet, but we have to do something because it's just there's no point putting in all that investment when mm. you're just going to be growing more and more black grass. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. With canary seed, potentially there's a big market there because it all gets imported from Canada. So if we can get a crop, it could be something that we could perhaps roll out, rotate around the farm to deal with some of these areas. But I don't know. It's just a test at the moment. We'll come, we'll come back to canaries in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what about miscanthus? Talk, talk us through that one. Miscanthus, well, that was another thing that Dad and Chris picked up at Cereal several years ago. And we've had some difficult land which didn't really grow anything on it. One of the fields that we put the miscanthus on is called the Barren Field because you can never really grow anything on it. If people know, go to the Hempnell Crossroads down the A140 just before you get into the We all know where the miscanthus is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's one of the fields. And um, 
it wouldn't really grow anything at all, but the Muscanthus grows really, really well on there. Very sandy, light land. It's growing um, a roundabout in the corner of it. Now, yeah, right? we're just growing a roundabout there at the moment, so that's interesting. But we've got it over several different areas, marginal land, which really w- wouldn't grow anything else. So it was a good decision. Well, what do you do with what happens to that product? So a forage harvester comes in, cuts it down into a swath. Then it gets baled up into Heston bales. We take it back, store it. And then a few, couple of months later, uh, hauliers turn up and take it off to Sneston Power Station, where it's burnt just the same as you would for cereal straw to produce energy for biomass. Okay. And, and I mean, that must take an awfully large amount out of the soil. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, we we do have the fields tested now and again. I mean, it's a rhizome, so it's spreading out over over the years. And it doesn't seem to be, apart from this year, the crop was down maybe 35% in yield. But I think a lot of that was down to yield. If that trend continues, we'll, have, we'll do some more testing. And then there's various other things you can do to... Once it's there, can you ever get rid of it once you start growing? You can. It? You can, you can plough it up. Basically, once as soon as you expose the um, rhizome to the air... It'll die very quickly. Okay. Yeah. So if you mash it up and it's exposed on the top, it'll pretty much be gone. Yeah. So so four years of miscanthus would surely finish black grass off, wouldn't it? It can't grow that tall. Well, it? it's an expensive thing to establish miscanthus, so it's mm. got to be a long term, long term uh, project, which is which is what we're doing. They they say the Terravesta, the company we produce for, they say it could be in the ground and growing for 25, 35 years, but. No one really knows at the moment, so we'll wait and see on that. But I think you can actually, if you pull a subsoil through it and mash it up, you could spread out the rhizomes and they could grow again. As long as they're under the ground, they'll regenerate. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to show any more of my farming ignorance, but uh, if you plough it up, some of them are going to be exposed and some of it's still going to be buried and it's still going to be there, isn't it, is the point? Yeah, you'll have to do a good job. <laughs> you might have to go through the seam or something else. I did plough one. I had a go at ploughing once or twice when I was young, and I was terrible at it. It's, it's a skill that everyone thinks, oh, that's easy. It so isn't. It's not, yeah. And that's one of the things, you know. I've, have you ploughed? No, well, I've been down a field for about half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I will leave and then that, someone else came and straightened yeah, it up I, I will leave that to very much to the experts <laughs> me I need, too. I need to... Uh, me too, absolutely. Know my limits on that one, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going, to, I'm going to open the beer up while uh, while you keep uh, asking questions, Webby, all right? Is that okay with you? So, well, the other thing I wanted to talk about, just given your backgrounds of being completely fresh and being the right age bracket is, well, and your career in media, but is agriculture and social media. I mean, we're, as a business, uh, the podcast is part of it, kind of Twitter, Facebook. I think it's a good thing. Do you think agriculture is fully bought into it yet? Well, if we take twitter as an example i find that useful personally because you can look at what the other farmers are doing around the country uh, what stages they're at what crops they're growing what problems they've got and it's quite useful as that i suppose it's a bit of an echo chamber which is one of the phrases we always hear about social media you're only going to follow the people you perhaps like or agree with (laughs) but you shouldn't you should follow the people you don't agree with as well because then you get the other side of it so it's useful in that respect um, it, it can obviously be used in a good way and a bad way, but uh, if you use it in the correct way, it can be helpful. There's a lot of information out there. I mean, this is this is the hot week for it because I'm a bit sad this time of the year, but I scout through Twitter and follow loads of French farmers because I'm really intrigued mm. to see what the French barley yields are doing. Is that the hashtag bikini? <laughs> <laughs> it's only on weekends, Andrew. But no, yeah, I, I, hashtag moisson19, and bang, you've got it, you're going to have your rapeseed yields, your barley yields, and it's fascinating. It gives us a really good, almost thought ahead of the game of what our yields are going to look like. So I think it's, it's a massive marketing tool, 
we love it in the trade. And for farmers, there's a lot of farmers on there sharing information and ideas, aren't there? Yeah, I think it's really helpful. You've just got to know how to use it in the right way and mm. don't spend all your time looking at Kim Kardashian or something. So just we, we just talked about sharing information. You being fresh into the industry and the trade, have you sort of got any, um, I was about to say bed partners, this sounds a bit dodgy, but any sort of close allies that you have a sort of no-holds-barred kind of open relationship with to share ideas? Well, not formally, I wouldn't say, but any of my friends or local farmers I'll, I'll always ask them what they're doing how they're doing it no I, I think as as an industry and we've talked about it in the podcast before we had a, a John Gill from Coston who's um, a dairy man and they have a group of farmers and they meet uh, three four times a year and they pretty much brutally go through everything completely to the the final uh, or finite detail and he said he's changed his farm significantly as a, as a result of it so I thought maybe the cereal industry or the general ag farmer could take a leaf out of that book, really. Yeah, I think it's potentially a good idea. You know, I'm open-minded about all aspects of it, really. So if somebody's got a better idea, I'll copy it and try and do it better. I think it's a bit of a generational thing. I think old codgers like me are, are more inclined to kind of sail on pretending they know everything, as you know well, Webby. And there is a more open-minded generation coming through that, that do, or they are prepared to share. I, I, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think the old, I'm not telling him, he might make money out of it scenario is, is, is going. Anyway, I'm going I'm to open the beer now. Let me read out what it is. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a little lightweight, 5.7, um, just right for this time of the day, Old Empire IPA from Marston's, who, who we are particularly fond of. Yeah, and I think this is going to smack you straight between the eyes. So, Will, I'm afraid you're going to have a sip of this. Okay. Let's take one for the team. Really good sound effects. That's it. Put all head on it, Webby. We should be able to get to the taste of it in a minute. Although someone said that you're supposed to put head on it, aren't you? So you can get the flavour, the aroma. Opinions? Mm, It's nice, isn't it? Well, I think the um... the afternoon drinking this would be pretty handy. Yeah, I think so. You can tell from the taste it's a strong beer. Yeah. It is quite a... um, I don't think I'd handle too many of them. Ollie in the office, he loves a um, a broadside, Adam's broadside, which again is like a six percenter, and he can just sit them down like he's drinking water. But no, that that would sort me out after a few, I think. I think so. Yeah, that's a headache beer, isn't it? Mm. Quite a good taste. Nice taste, yeah. So, when do you start harvest? Very good question. I was looking at some of the barley on the way over here, and that looked a lot further ahead than us, but different type of soil. We won't be starting for another maybe two weeks, I think. Yeah, I agree. We, we're not expecting to see anything until the 15th at the earliest. Mm. And I don't think we'll get going in earnest until the 20, 21st. That's exactly the date I gave somebody yesterday when um, they they said, tell me when it's going to start. It's hard to know. But I, yeah, what's I mean... Fa- what have you got? What's your winter barley? What's winter your, barley, we've got it all well. Yeah. But we probably wait a bit longer than other people because we need to make sure the straw is 100% correct for the ducks. So uh, we will be waiting. Isn't that great? <laughs> Good job we're not going a malting barley. Uh, the straw's not quite right, but it's germinating in the yeah, ear. Yeah. Don't worry about that. I want the yeah. right straw. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's a that's a that's a big issue for us. That if we if the straw isn't right for ducks, it can cause cause all sorts of problems. So we get rid of all the oat straw because it can be quite dusty for them, which can cause them all kinds of problems with their eyes and things when they're young. So that's a big concern for us. Yeah. Oat straw. Yeah, we don't use. Yeah, we sell that now. Yeah. 
Okay, well, there's not many oats growing up in our neck of the woods, is there? Oh, we grow quite a lot of oats, yeah. Why is that? Well, it all went for malting last year, so it was quite a nice little niche market. Yeah. But, but I mean, that as a there's a, there's a lot of oats in the ground this year, aren't there? As, as people are fighting the, is that a black grass issue? It's a break crop, obviously. Well, it is a bit of a break crop, yeah. I mean, we've always grown. It's worked well for us. We haven't done sugar beet for a long time, so that might be part of it. But it just seems to grow quite well on our farm, and we get reasonable yields for it. So um, we'll keep growing it as long as we can, if it's, as long as it's profitable. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so winter barley, oats, and then feed wheat. Rye, for rye vita, all seed rape, and we talked about the muscants already, but yeah, all the cereals, yeah. Well, so the order will be winter barley, followed by rape, followed by oats? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the rye can be earlier, but I'd say it's probably it'd be oats and then the rye. The rye, you've got to harvest almost immediately. You've got to, you've got to, you can't leave it once it's ready. You've got a seven-minute gap. Yeah, you've got to be really, field, really you know? quick to do it. Because you obviously need that protein content, which is quite a hard one to uh, nail down. And the hagberg, isn't it? Is yeah, it? that yeah. starts falling very quickly, so you've got to yeah. get it in there. Is it really tall this year? Because it's it's a year yes. where things, yeah, that's. I mean, we've got a, a fortnight of really good, sort of still warm weather, haven't we? Or warmish weather, so it's it's looking like it's going to keep standing up till the very end. Right? Well, I sincerely hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm I mean, just, I'm, some, I'm making you feel good here. Yeah, right? <laughs> some some of it is, is very tall, taller than I'd like to, but some crops we didn't get growth regulator on, mm. say on the oats, because it would have killed it at that time. Yeah, oats is obviously, as you know, very sensitive. So um, no, yeah. I don't know. That's your, your job to tell me that. So yeah, yeah okay, right. Yeah. Now I know yeah. it. I'm going to tell everybody that oats are sensitive. Yeah, yeah. A bit like Ian. <laughs> and then and then you you'll end up with you with your wheat. That's it. That's the end of. Yeah, that'll be it. And we have last year we did some winter beans, but they were a huge failure, so we haven't done them again. Uh-huh. We, we might come back to them. There's various problems that we can go into for how we established them. Or I've got, got to say, Will, you won't be alone in that. Last year, it was yeah. a disaster for beans. It like, was you terrible. can't judge it on that one year, no. unfortunately. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, the drought didn't help at all, but we had problems with how we drilled it. We we had a sort of last minute problem. We had to get somebody else to drill them. I don't think it really got them deep enough. Then we obviously had the drought, which was the worst thing. But yeah, and then they all shelled out. It even caused out some of our best growers who produce immaculate beans every year, and unfortunately they copped it. So uh, yeah, don't judge yourself on that one. No, it's something we might come back to because it is quite a good break crop. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how we get on with our other options this year. All right, so let's get back to the canaries then, or the canary. Well, that, firstly, the canary grass. Where does that go? What what's that? The canary seed. Canary seed. Sorry. Yeah. So that. Ideally, hopefully, if we produce some, it'll it'll be bird seed, yeah. Okay, you know, is that? I, I mean, we haven't come across that, have we? We need to we need to steal your ideas on that. Whoever whoever the person you're dealing with, watch yeah. out. Here we come. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. We'll see. Okay, you might not want to. Well, we'll twist his arm in a minute when the mics are off. No, but <laughs> let's talk about the canaries, then, shall we? Yeah. So, how much money did you put on them going up last year? Zero. You know, I wish I had put some. On. I watched this at the beginning of the season and. Norwich were really terrible. The odds went up heavily, didn't they? Yeah. There yeah. were people on, on uh, Norfolk's uh, call in the uh, Canary call after the game, which was just, get him out. He don't know nothing about football. He's from third division Germany. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It did feel a bit like get a goal scorer. Okay. They um, can't put nothing in the net. And they keep letting them in, don't they? It's the best radio there ever has been. It ever. is good. Canary Call, you can't beat it. Yeah, I've never phoned in. I just, I just can't bear the thought of uh, 
everyone take the mickey at me afterwards, but there's some fabulous callers, regulars. Well, I do know someone who rang up once. Ian's probably met him, actually. I won't mention him now, but he put on a voice and pretended to be someone. And my final point, he had about <laughs> six or seven points, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and good. I thought they were all real. No, anyway, they, it, but, but uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're both season ticket holders, aren't we, Will? Yes, very uh, exciting times for Norwich at the moment, yeah. Yeah, well, surprising more than exciting. I mean, we've we've got you know a couple of secret weapons, a, a quick away win at Anfield for the start of the season. That'd be nice. We'll make everybody sit up and look, won't it? I mean, I'm expecting Buendia to get sent off, <laughs> and uh, with a load of uh, you know the Premier Division diving all over the floor type people. And uh, yeah, but hey, we might surprise a few. And I think I think with the side we have, we have a chance of staying up, don't we? I think going forward, they look really good from an attacking sense. It's just at the back, which I'm slightly less confident about the defence and the goalkeeper, but we'll see. The goalie, yeah, but the two full-backs? Well, they're exciting, aren't they're... they? If we hang on to both of them, which looks like we probably will. Uh, for this season, anyway. Yeah. But there's there's a good few million quids worth, you know, one to one to Spurs, one to Man City. And the lad at the back, Ben... Ben Godfrey. Ben Godfrey. I, I, I think he's... Destined for the stars, that boy. Very good player, yeah, yeah. He is good. really good, and he will be playing for someone like, forgive me, Canary fans, but he'll be playing for someone like Liverpool or Man City or Man United within five years. He is that good. You know that terrible cliche that football pundits always use. He's very good with his feet. It's the least you'd <laughs> hope for, isn't it? But he is. Yeah. Game of two halves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Over the moon. <laughs> No, I, I mean, yeah, if you're a Norwich City fan, um, lots of you, you guys out there who support the big clubs, who expect to win things every year, it's, it's rather monotonous. You live nowhere near the, the city you support. If you support a team like Norwich, it is, it is you know, usually fairly disappointing most of the time. But every now and again, you get a season that you just don't expect. And last season was just breathtakingly brilliant on every level, wasn't it? And here we sit, Premier Division and... Yeah, I mean, we're just singing like canaries. Norwich City Football Club are, are a genuinely well-run club. And, and the real secret to their success has been that guy, uh, Weber, who came from Huddersfield. He's got the club acting as a unit that's really a happy unit. It's, it's a very impressive piece of senior management where the football coach is coaching and the rest of the club is pulling together a phenomenal, you know, in a, in a phenomenal way. Yeah, optimistic times. Hopefully... We won't get too punished this season in the Premier League. So, uh, of course we won't. Yeah. And we all love Delia, don't we? Oh, yeah. And she, she does a good pie. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, with that happy thought, I think we'll, we'll, we'll stop. Will, you're a star. Thank you very much for coming along. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 